So Paul is continuing to write to the Ephesian Christians. So, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one, of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who has descended is the very one who has ascended higher than all the heavens in order to, to fill the whole of the universe. So, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach the unity of the fa- in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, uh, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. Are we good? Are we good? Good morning. My name's Colin. Good to have you with us. Uh, great to chat to you over morning tea afterwards. Stephen's a bit lonely, couldn't find anyone to talk to him, so you could talk to him as well. That'd be good. Um, I wonder what's the worst customer service that you've experienced? I, I think the worst one is when it's um, a receptionist or someone in the service industry or retail, and you want some, I don't know, well, service, and... Um, you ask them a question, and they look at you as if you've asked them to donate a kidney or something. It's all a bit too hard. They get all huffy. And they're supposed to be representing the values and the qualities of the company that they work for, or, or at least not putting you off that company that they work for. Well, today um, we're looking at how we can grow up into being what we are. So how we can mature 
into representing well our spiritual reality and glorify God who's given it to us. So we'll explain all that as we go. So we're in this series in Ephesians, and we've got to chapter 4 now. Okay, And basically, the second half of the letter is putting into practice, it's the application of the truths that we've seen in the first half of the letter. And so verse 1 is, if you like, the hinge of the book. That's your, your first point in your outlines. The turning point of the letter. So verse 1, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. All right, so we're at a hinge. Let's have a look at what's before this hinge in the first half, just to bring you up to speed. So back in chapter 1, verse 10, we learned that God's big plan is to unite everything under Christ for the praise of his glory, for God's glory. We've seen that we are saved by grace through Jesus into this plan. We're to pray and to remember how we were, how we were once so that we know deeper and deeper all the spiritual blessings we already have in Christ. We've seen that church, this here now, is the visible expression of what is already true in the heavenly realms. We're united as one under Christ. Uh, so we're no longer categories of Jewish or Gentile that counts, but belonging to Christ. And last week, um, Jeff Lynn helped us see that Paul prays that we know the love of God ever deeper. And how we need to do that together as church to help one another out and encourage one another for the long haul. All right, so let's have a look. There's, there's more, that you, obviously, but um, that's the rough outline of where we've been. So in verse 1, back in verse 1, calling here, it's kind of shorthand then for everything that's been in 1 to 3. That we already have every blessing. That we're already saved by grace. Already reconciled to God. So that's the context, that's the background of all the be like this stuff that's about to come. Okay? So note, note carefully, it's not live a life worthy enough to be called. It's live a life worthy of your calling. So all that comes from this point on is in light of all that's come before. So bear that in mind. And there's pastoral application for us in our interaction with one another, in the way Paul's written this letter and most of his letters. See, our tendency will always be to revert back to religion, to revert back to doing enough good works. So we must be careful with one another not to jump straight into chapter 4, not to jump straight into do this, don't do that, without the context of God's all-sufficient grace for us. So bearing that in mind, God's grace, how do we live a life worthy of our calling? Well, we've got to grow up. We've got to mature. I'm getting more mature than older than I hoped I'd like to be this week, but we've got to grow up and be mature. And there's two ways that we do that in this passage. Unity and knowledge of Jesus. So we've got unity a knowledge of Jesus, and there's some gifts in the middle we'll come to. So first, the unity, verses 2 to 6, our first point, we're one body. So let's have a look at this a bit back to front, we'll, um, this 
this section. We'll look at the basis for being unified as church and then come back how to live that out. If you're a note taker, um, there's some pens at the back now, by the way, they weren't there before, if you need a pen. Um, It's our basis and behavior. So we'll do basis first, verses four to six. The basis of our unity is there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. So one. Did you get the idea? There's only one body, the church, because we're all saved by the same God, sharing the same hope. The spiritual reality in the heavenly realms is that we are already unified. We are one in Christ. Uh, We're all saved in the same way, um, bringing glory to the same God. So when we talk about unity, what kind of unity are we looking for? Um, I think I've got a little video clip here from um, one of these uh, fancy art house films. Okay, Miss Congeniality. So just have a look at this. William Shatner's third best role. I'll tell you the other two. But um, where was it going with that? Yes. <laughs> what kind of unity are we looking for? So that's people's often that idea, world peace. But what we can't do is just gloss over when we believe different things. So that was the approach of the Anglican high school I went to in the UK. The idea that all faiths are leading to God in different ways. And in many ways, we did enjoy unity. We were all equally horrible to each other, whatever our faith was. But seriously, it was a good environment. But fundamentally, at a spiritual level, we were not unified in belief. And I have to say, my experience of of Christians who've bought into that idea, I've seen that the faith gets so watered down as to become hopeless. Now, world peace, of course, like the beauty pageant uh, people say, is, of course, a noble cause. But when that cause gets higher up a church's agenda, then the actual real basis for our real spiritual unity, then we end up trying to make uh, a, a fake superficial unity instead of being part of the ultimate unity that God is bringing, everything unified under Christ. The reality of our unity is that one God, Spirit, Son, and Father, has called us to salvation, and it's in him that we're united. Our unity is a spiritual reality, and so we unify around the truth that brings the spiritual reality about, that Jesus is God's only Son, and turning from sin and believing in him is the only way we can be saved. 
So that's the basis for our unity. Now the behavior. So Paul's telling us here, basically you are unified, so be unified. He tells us how to behave in such a way that enhances our unity to look something like what is already spiritually true. So verses 2 and 3. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. Did you see that? This is uh, like the toolkit we've got to pour our energy into to build our unity. So let me tell, just say, as I tell you all this, it's not because I think Trinity Bay has a big problem with, uh, with unity, disunity. And considering our diverse, diversity of who's here, we do really well, I think. But given that picture we've got, that the unity we're seeking to portray is absolutely perfect, or one in Christ, there's always room for improvement. So if you think of our real heavenly unity as a cake, made of ingredients that already exists. Living it out now as church is kind of doing stuff with the ingredients that make up that unity. Starting to bake it now. Just imagine if we brought all of these characteristics to every situation we find ourselves in. So let's go through them. Humility. Be humble. So... This isn't a fake humility, like kind of like, oh, you know, I'm a bit rubbish. But it's a determination to put others' needs before our own, uh, not insisting on our own rights. So how many grudges would we be able to bear if we were humble? Jesus was humble, humble enough to die on the cross to save us. And he was the son of God. Gentleness, so this isn't like a sort of feebleness. No, it's the, it's the strength to be gentle, which comes from relying on God's strength to change people and situations. So it's like people in the service industry, in hotels and conferences and stuff, they know that the most obnoxious customers are sort of lower management because they feel like they've got some power, but they, they also feel like they've got a point to prove. Whereas the senior managers are gentler because they've got nothing to prove. We have God's strength so we can be gentle. So how many people would we rub up the wrong way if we were always gentle? How many people's feelings are you going to hurt if you're never bullish or insensitive but always gentle? Patience, bearing with one another in love. How much conflict could we avoid if we were slow to anger? And how much less do one another's shortcomings matter when we cut each other heaps of slack, bearing with one another? See, you and I, followers of Jesus, we live in a different unified spiritual reality. And so we live by a different set of rules to the rest of the world. And that means sometimes we'll be keeping unity through gritted teeth. It means sometimes that we'll have to let go of winning the argument. 
But we can't bear grudges with one another. God gave his only son to get rid of his grudges against us. We can't stay offended by one another. Because Jesus took our offensiveness on himself, on the cross, to reconcile us to God. Now, of course, we'll all slip up, um, but we're all changing. God is at work in us by his spirit to build these characteristics of unity in us so that we bring him glory. So make every effort to be humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. And do that as if it were all down to you, yet assured that it isn't all down to you as God transforms you by his spirit. So we're to grow up in unity, and God has given us gifts to grow us up. It's equipping the body in verses 7 to 12. Our second point. So verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And this grace is given to us in the form of gifts. Um, now, we haven't got time to go into verses 8 to 10. You can ask me about it afterwards. But to summarize, verse 8 is a quote from Psalm 68. And the picture is of God as a conquering king returning triumphantly, like in a victory parade, and giving out the booty from his victory to the people. So verses 9 and 10 refer to the fact that to win this victory and bring us these gifts, God the Son descended from the glories of heaven to the lowest point of death, bearing our sin on the cross. The ultimate humiliation, bringing the ultimate glory. The heart of God's plan to bring everything to unity under Christ. So if you want to know more, you can ask afterwards. But Paul singles out four gifts here, given to us by Christ. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So let's explain those. The, the apostles and prophets, we've already met them in chapter 2, verse 20, and chapter 3, verse 5. So they're the special group of foundational New Testament people to whom the gospel has been revealed, was revealed. And, and we have that available to us now in the Bible. All right, so that foundational gospel teaching. So the new centre that the building, I don't know where it is, that way, the new centre they're squeezing in on Brighton Road, the big shopping centre there, because there's loads of room. Um, they've dug out new foundations. When they, before they put the walls up, they dug out new foundations for the new walls. And that tells us that they weren't happy with the layout as it was. So they're not building on top of the existing foundations. They're doing something new. So if someone turns up in a church um, bringing disunity by claiming to have a new revelation about God, well, that immediately tells us something. It tells us that they aren't satisfied with the foundation laid down for us in our Bibles. So the apostles and prophets and evangelists. So this could be referring to people with a special gift for sharing the gospel, although we'll see that in no way diminishes everyone's responsibility to share it too. 
So the apostles and prophets are the foundation. The evangelists help take the foundation out to the ends of the earth. And pastors and teachers. So that's probably the one group um, who shepherd the church by teaching it. So that's why when we talk about pastoral care um, for one another, we're, we're not just talking about meeting practical needs, although it, it is that, but it's primarily proactively pastoring one another in God's word. And the thing all four of these people gifts that Christ gives the church have in common is they are word gifts. So they're all associated with God's revelation in the Bible. So they're either special revealers, gifted spreaders, or regular teachers of God's word. So why did Christ give us these gifts? Well, surely he gave them to build up the body of Christ, his church, right? Well, actually, look again carefully, because I've just missed a step. Verse 12. He gave us these people gifts, these word gifts, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I don't know, maybe you thought that was all my job. But my job, according to this, is to equip you with God's word because there is work to be done by all of us to build all of us up. Now, of course, it's right and proper to set aside people of suitable character and gifts to lead and train people up in leading. Because people will always follow someone. But the overall picture of church is of a body where every member is actively playing our part to build the body up. What is definitely not the picture is of Christ's church being full of passive consumers. Now again, let me say, I'm not telling you this because uh, I think that's what Trinity Bay is like. Uh, I don't think we're passive consumers at all. This, the Thanksgiving document you've got in your hands uh, is testimony to the works of service that go on here. So many of you give so much. Uh, Sharon and I have been so encouraged by how people have stepped up um, and rallied around us in the past few months. So well done. Thank you. Thanksgiving Sunday, I just want to say to you all, thank you. Okay. Now the search group looking for um, the new fellow, the new senior centre pastor that's, that's coming in. So uh, we're, if you're new here, we're between pastors. I'm, I'm the acting senior pastor. We're looking for a new one so that I can go off church planting. There are two meetings in to find us a new senior centre pastor. And the question, what questions should we all be asking ourselves just now? Well, it's not just, how can I help the new guy? But we should all be asking ourselves, how can I help the new guy to help me build up Christ's body at Trinity Bay? All right, so we grow up in unity, and Christ gives us gift, word gifts for us to build up his body. And the aim is uh, maturing the body. Our third point, verses 13 to 16. Maturing the body. So 
So again, let's skip to the end to see where we're trying to end up. Verses 15 and 16. Uh, The aim is to grow up to be the mature body of Christ, holding and growing each other together in Christ, in love, as each of us does our work. So the aim is to grow up so that we glorify God by being unified in Christ, uh, knowing Christ, and becoming more and more like him, being good representatives of him. And to do that, we have to grow up. So verse 13, become mature. Verse 14, we're no longer infants. Verse 15, in every respect, the mature body. So how do we do that? How do we grow up? What is the work that we have to do? How do we equip one another to grow up and become mature? Well, verse 13, it says, until we reach all unity in the faith, so we talked about unity, and in the knowledge of the Son of God. So we're to equip each other in the knowledge of the Son of God in Jesus. So do you know Jesus? I don't just mean know about Jesus, but do you know him personally? See, Jesus is alive right now, uh, ruling over everything in heaven and earth. And you can know him personally, heart to heart, today. He's God's son, and he's done everything needed to reconcile us to God, bringing us eternal life of joy with him, which can begin today. Knowing Jesus personally is the only way we can be saved. But we mustn't stop there. We need to know personally Jesus who is alive today. But to really know him, we also need to know about him. We need to know about the historical Jesus of 2,000 odd years ago. We can't know Jesus properly without the foundation of the apostles and prophets in the New Testament. So uh, just to prove the point, when first Christianity first began, uh, so it's recorded for us back in the book of Acts, and thousands were converted. And what was the priority? We've got a verse up there, Alio. Thank you. So this is from Acts chapter 2. Um, Peter's been preaching And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, that's sharing communion together, and to prayer. So the first two cabs off the rank of baptism, they got baptized, and devotion to the apostles' teaching. So I can tell you Peter supports Port Power, and I can tell you Aaron supports Crows, okay? And I can see they've got some personal investment in those teams in terms of effort spent. But I guess what makes someone a true follower, um, what makes someone a true follower not just a regular fan? Well, they know all about the teams. They know the stats, what is it, disposals or marks or something. means nothing to me. Whatever. But knowing that stuff means it's really their true team that they're following. 
not just some idea of what their team is. And knowing that stuff grows them as a, sad, as a devotee. Okay? <laughs> How are you going to devote yourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship? Now, I know I bang on about growth groups all the time, but uh, one of the main reasons this is why we have growth groups, to grow in our knowledge of God through his word and work out practically together in fellowship and prayer how to live that out. So it's growth groups. And how are your quiet times going? Are you being fed daily from God's word? It's getting cold, isn't it? It's getting harder and harder to get out of bed, in my experience. Um, the, the way, what I do is I subscribe to an email from EV Church. I can show you later. So every weekday, they, do, they send an email, and it's got a short passage and some questions on it and a suggested prayer. And I don't even have to get out from Omdimiduna to read it. It's pretty good. So there's groups, there's quiet times. And you're here, so I'm quite literally preaching to the converted. But are you being careful to plan to get to church regularly? To be in God's word in fellowship with one another? It's not rocket science, is it? Individual quiet times, growth groups, church. are the three main ways to build one another up in the knowledge of God's son, Jesus. To help us grow up. So what will this maturity this being grown up, what does it look like on the ground? Well, there's an interesting contrast in verses 14 and 15. So verse 14 describes someone who is passive, who things happen to, tossed back and forth by false teaching. Just an aside about false teaching, we really need to be on our guard, and this is part of why we need to get together in fellowship. False teaching, you kind of imagine it just sound bonkers, wouldn't you? But according to this, false teaching uh, could seem completely reasonable and logical, seem to make perfect sense because it comes from cunning and craftiness, but is in reality deceitful scheming. So of course the defense against false teaching is, is knowing your Bible, devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching, calling one another out in loving fellowship, when we get something wrong. Um, So that's false teaching. But the contrast again. So verse 14, passive. Contrast with verse 15, with actively leading others into truth. So you might have expected the contrast to be not being blown around, but standing firm or something. But actually, it's more proactive than that. It's leading others into truth. Verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love. So the truth here is the gospel, not, not telling fibs. That's later on in the chapter. But you might say to me, well, I can't, I'm no teacher. I, I can't stand up in front of people and teach. And that may well be true. But you can speak. You can love. You can say in ordinary conversation the truth that you do know in your own words. In love. It's not divisive to speak the truth in love. We need warnings. Because if we don't warn each other, others may lead us into error. 
Now, of course, we should always we should be tolerant and loving of people, but not of error. So what this doesn't mean we don't let nobody can come here unless they've got I believe exactly the right list of things they signed up to everything. We are to draw people into our fellowship wherever they're up to, and love them, but not to draw in any false teaching or error. So that's the contrast. Okay, so what will this being grown up and mature look like? It'll mean our security and our identity are increasingly found in Christ. Not, not in how we look or how our careers go in or what good works we've done. It will mean us having a deepening love of God, his word, his people, and having his heart for the lost. Growing up will mean that this love is worked out in acts of self-sacrificial service to build one another up. Being mature will mean knowing deeper and deeper the blessings that we have, the sure hope of eternity with God, putting our trust in Jesus who won salvation for us. And all of this will lead us to be increasingly thankful. Okay, so just to finish, and then I'll pray. Three points of application. Three things to do with this. Firstly, don't start with chapter four. All right? Don't start with chapter four. So our tendency will always be to revert to religion, to revert to be trying to be good enough to earn our salvation. And we need to keep encouraging and reminding one another of chapters one to three of Ephesians getting to know deeper all the blessings we have in Christ, and from that basis of being saved by grace alone, from that basis to work out how to live a life worthy of the salvation we already have in unity together. So don't start at chapter 4. Secondly, get mixing all those ingredients, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. In your day-to-day fellowship and conversations with each other to build us up in mature unity which reflects our spiritual reality and thirdly devote yourselves to knowing Jesus deeper and deeper by devoting yourselves to studying the Bible both on your own and in fellowship with one another let's pray Heavenly Father thank you for the grace, the free gift of salvation you've given us in Jesus. Please help us to know deeper and deeper all those spiritual blessings we have and know, help us to know our unity and work at our unity on the basis of knowing it. Please help us to um, grow in us those characteristics of humility and gentleness and pe- bearing with one another in love, patience. Uh, Please grow us by your spirit in those characteristics. And please help us to devote ourselves to knowing Jesus through your word, both on our own and together. And this Thanksgiving Sunday, we do give you great thanks for all the work you've already done in all of us in these areas. We thank you for your grace in Jesus. Amen.